You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. First day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city, and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Let's pray. Jesus, we we love you. And... uh, I just ask that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us a mind that's open to your words, that you would prepare our hands to respond to your words today. Give us wisdom, give us your wisdom. Sometimes you're Your teachings are just hard to hear sometimes, and sometimes you say things that are just so strange. Help us to hear your words in a new light today. Help my words to fall away. Help us to remember what you have to say to us. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit. I ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. That's my kid. <laughs> it's, it's not often that we think about the effects that symbols have on our lives. It's just not. We, we go through our day-to-day, and we just do the things that we do. But it's, it's actually pretty interesting when we think about it. None of us pick our clothes or our, our cars, our shoes... Uh, our yoga pants, our friends. Um, we don't pick any of those things in a vacuum. We don't pick those things um, without the influence of things around us. And that's interesting. Because Jesus found symbols just as valuable. It's interesting because we allow things around us to make statements for us of who we are. And that's important. It's important that we have something that we can have to identify ourselves. 
Um, it's important to have something that we can hang our hat on to say, this, this is what I'm doing. Uh, whether it's a cause or it's um, a certain group of friends that we associate with. It's something that's important. And Jesus understands that it's important. And so the, the last little bit that Sindri read there uh, was a symbol. It was a symbol that, um, that Jesus instituted for us. And I, I feel inadequate to talk about it because the kids talked about it so much better than me. Um, but that's, that's what it is. And um, the symbol, as, as Larry was telling the kids, it, it's called communion. It's called the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, the Eucharist. Um, lately, I've started calling it what it is, a cannibalistic covenant meal. <laughs> it's just that odd. Um, never before, you, you just can't turn anywhere in the scriptures to have somebody say, eat my body. To a Jew, you're going, I, I don't even eat pork. I, not people. It's, it's a strange thing. Hi, my name is Andy. I'm an elder here at the village. And uh, sometimes I just bring up how transparently odd things that we do are. But let's face it. We're here because we believe that thousands of years ago, an Israeli carpenter, builder guy became a rabbi, a teacher, died, and then took up his own life days later. Not hours, not one of those crazy stories that you see on TV. Days later, that dude was dead. And then he's alive again. And that changes things. But that's still odd. So, if you are a visitor, sorry. <laughs> uh, it's, this isn't probably what they said. Hey, you should come to church. It's, it's great. We're going to talk about eating a person. That's probably not the invitation that you got. Um, so sorry for that. Um, but let's, hopefully we can take a look at this. And um, for those who are used to coming to the table... Hopefully we're alienated a little bit from it. It's a little strange. It's a little hesitant to come up. Uh, and for those of you who have never come to the table, hopefully I can make it not so strange. But to understand what Jesus is talking about, we can't start in the middle or towards the end of a story. We've got to understand the story and its whole. Uh, nobody would buy all of the Harry Potter series and pick book four and open up to chapter seven and just start reading because that would be odd. You just wouldn't know what was going on. So let's look at the gospel of Mark just at a go. So this is if you, if you started the gospel of Mark and you just read it cover to cover, Mark's telling a story. He's telling the story of Jesus and he tells you from the beginning, Jesus is the Messiah, the King, the Son of God, the long-awaited one. You have three big events where Mark places at the beginning, the middle, and the end, where Jesus is baptized at the beginning, and God himself says, this is my son. 
my boy, I'm proud of him. And then later, he's up on a mountain, and the same thing happens. This is my son. And then at the end of the story, Jesus, on a cross, died. And there's a Roman soldier, all alone, looking at it and saying, this must be the Son of God. And that informs our story. Another thing that informs our story is that there are three different types of characters that interact with Jesus throughout the story. You have religious leaders who just reject him from the beginning. They're just, what are you saying? What are you teaching on? Nah, that's poor interpretation. Your exegesis is a little off. You have the crowd. And the crowd, they love coming to see Jesus. He can't even get a minute alone. They come because he heals them. They come because they're mesmerized by his teachings and his miracles. They're always amazed. You read and they're amazed and they're amazed. He did this and they're amazed. But you get to the end of the story and you see that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the scribes, the lawyers, they rejected him from the beginning and at the end it's the same. The crowd accepts him at the beginning, but at the end... They bail. And then you have a third group, the disciples. I'm both happy and sad to say that that's us. Happy because they're so willing to follow. Confused. Don't understand. But willing. Willing to follow. Hungry to understand. Hungry to learn. They believe that he's the king that they've been waiting for. They're under Roman oppression, and they need a liberator. And they think that it's supposed to look a certain way. And it's not, it's not a mystery that Mark puts that very element of the story right before this meal. He says... One of you will betray me. Not the religious leaders. Not the crowd. Those closest to him. His closest friends. You can understand why a little bit. When you read John, John talks about when Jesus talks about the communion, that... um, a lot of people just stop following him because it's hard to take when somebody says, eat my body. So you have these three different groups. And what's interesting is the way that Mark's written, when you get to the end of the story as it was originally written, you get to the end and nobody wants to associate with Jesus. Everybody's left. Everybody's gone. But there's a couple couple of disciples that they decide, you know what, we're going to go and finish burying the body. And so they come and they come to the tomb and it's empty. And it puts yourself in their shoes, that's got to be odd. And then all of a sudden there's an interaction that you have with someone and they tell you that he's alive. And just on the record, 
That just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen for us, and so we think, well, you know, they just think that this is, you know, maybe they're they're lying to themselves that that that's a thing. But but that wasn't a thing back then. People don't come back to life. They don't do it now. They didn't do it back then, and so it was weird. So when they're told he's alive, go and tell people. They don't. Out of fear, they stay silent. And then the story ends. Now, later on, people thought, man, this, is, this has got to have a different ending. <laughs> this has got to have something else. But it's because that's odd. What a strange place to end. But when we think about it in the whole story and we read through and we see everything that Mark's telling us about who this is, we're left with a few options of what we should do. We're left looking at all these responses that we have. Do we reject them outright? Dismiss them? Because he's, he's not exactly what we were thinking of when we were thinking of somebody who's going to interpret our Bible for us. Or maybe we really like his social policies. Maybe we like the way that he talks about how to behave. It's a good way to live life. But then all of a sudden when he enters the kingly city and he wants to be the king of your life. It's a good idea, good teaching, but I don't know about this king thing. Hopefully we're the disciples. Sadly we're the disciples. We're there and we want to learn We want to believe in our king. But don't we find that time and time again we end up failing? We can't seem to get the teaching in our head enough to where when we interact in that moment with another human being, we don't end up loving our neighbor. We end up doing things that we know dishonor and displease the creator of the universe. And it's tough. But being a disciple, it's not easy. But it's cool because there's a fourth voice. It's the voice of the author. If those two disciples would have just ended at that with not saying anything to anyone out of fear, That would have been the end of the story. You never would have known. You wouldn't have even been in this room. This room wouldn't have been built for you to even be in. But the voice of the author. They go and they tell. Eventually, they make it through that challenge of fear. That challenge of of failure. And they go and they tell others. So that's our story. That's where we find ourselves when... Jesus enters this kingly city. And his disciples, they say, it's Passover time. And Passover is a meal that we'll talk about here in a minute. It's Passover time. Where should we go? Where should we have Passover? Where should we do this? And he takes them on kind of the spy journey. It's really interesting. It's like, go and see the man with the water jar. 
and give them the code word and the master says, you know, it's odd. But they do it and they go and they prepare this meal. And like we said, Jesus reminds them of their betrayal. And then he says, take, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood. And that had to have been odd, as we've said. But maybe there's a clue. Maybe he's saying something that we can hang our hat on, something that we can look back on. And so if we're a disciple and we've, we've been steeped in the Hebrew Scriptures time and time again, we, we didn't have video games to waste our time or Twitter or Facebook, so we just spent our time reading the Scriptures. And he said this thing when he was passing out the drink. He said, this is my blood of the covenant. And it had to have stuck in their mind. What is, what is this? What, this is so familiar. I can't quite put my finger on it. And I'm sure later, after the betrayal, after running away, finding Jesus alive, maybe they just asked him, hey, I can't figure it out. What's going on? Um, it's from Exodus. Exodus chapter 24. And we'll look at it here in just a second. Um, but to, to lead up to the story, um, this is my community group's used to this. I always go way too far back to create context. Um, so uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void. And there was darkness over the surface of the deep. And the creator of the universe created the universe. He created the sky and he created the ground and he filled it out. And he created humanity. And he asked for humanity to do something. He asked for humanity to partner with him. Partner with him in cultivating and crafting the world that he has built. The world that was so good. He asked for something else. He asked for trust. He said, I want you to trust me in defining what good and evil are. Please trust me in this. Let me define good and evil. You help me craft and build this world that we've made. Leave good and evil's definition to me. And as the story goes, we didn't do that. That was something that we wanted too. And Genesis just continues to spiral down with story after story of all of humanity grasping after defining good and evil. And more often, they pick evil and they call it good. Well, the story ends up culminating at this tower and all of humanity is just rejecting the creator of the universe. And then all of a sudden, snap, the story changes and zeroes in on one man, this man Abram. Later gets his name changed to Abraham. And God decides, I want to have a personal, close, intimate, legally binding relationship with you. This type of relationship is called a covenant. It's the word that Jesus uses when he says this is my blood of the covenant 
And this is an important story to remember, an important story to understand or to hear about it if you've never heard about it before, is the process of making a covenant. So God says, I want to have a relationship with you, and he gives them the why. And the why is so that all the nations of the earth can be blessed. The story didn't just change. It didn't just flip. We just zeroed in on something. All of humanity has been rejecting the creator of the universe. And the creator of the universe wants to do something about it. And he's going to choose this man to do that. He wants to bless all the nations. He wants to bless humanity. So he starts a relationship with this man. And, and this type of relationship, I said, was, was legally binding. It's called cutting a covenant. So God tells Abram, he says, go get these animals. And Abram knows exactly what's going on. He goes and he gets the animals, and he's not even has to be told. He cuts the animals in half and lays them on two sides. And, and what this is, we, we actually know a, a lot about this um, from uh, tablets that were found back in the 30s. Um, there's this, this trough, basically, in the middle where the two halves are laid, and the blood starts to culminate in the middle. This is kind of gross and gruesome. Sorry, kids. Um, <laughs> but the way that a covenant works is there are terms. Uh, God gives Abram terms. He says, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you a nation from you. I'm going to bless all the nations through you. But I need something from you as well. There's terms on both sides. What Abraham's obligation is, is to be blameless before the Lord. Uh, It's no mystery why this this colloquial kind of old phrase happens where it says, A great and dreadful darkness fell on Abraham. That's just a... That's just a really old way of saying he was scared out of his mind. (laughs) And uh, so he's scared because he knows what the blood means. In in the blood is life. It's the way that is understood for them. In the blood is life. And the covenant relationship is so strong, so serious, that if you were to break your terms... After agreeing to them, it's at the cost of your own life. So here's what's interesting, and this is why we should look at this story and and understand it in light of what we're talking about. Is that Abraham doesn't ever walk through the blood, which is the tradition. That's what you do. You walk through the blood to symbolize that I, I agree to these terms. And that doesn't happen. Abraham goes to sleep. And a smoking pot goes through, and a flame goes through. And we know from the rest of the story that these are both two symbols for God. God goes through once for himself, that he's going to hold up his end of the agreement. And strangely and oddly, he goes through again. Stop it. (laughs) He goes through again. And it symbolizes and says that 
If I didn't uphold my end of the agreement, it's on me. And if you don't uphold your end of the agreement, I'll take that too. And it was a profound mystery for years, thousands of years. And finally, we realize it with Jesus that God did pay for when the terms were broken. So it's important to understand. And the covenant happens again. So, Abram does have kids. And those kids have kids. And they become a very large group of people. And those people end up in Egypt. And what happens when a large immigrant population starts to get too big in a big country? We feel like we got to do something about it. So what the king, what the Pharaoh did was he decided to enslave them. We never can seem to get that right. But we have this Pharaoh, this king, and he enslaves these people. And one thing that's really important to know when you're reading the Old Testament, you hear it time and time again that God always hears the cries of the oppressed. He always hears the cries of the oppressed. So he finds a man named Moses and he tells him, go, go and set my people free. So he does. He brings them out. He brings them to the foot of a mountain and he wants to have a relationship with them. And as we watch the story unfold, we understand what kind of relationship because we've seen it before. So first come the terms. You have two parties. You have the nation of Israel and you have God. And the terms we would recognize as the Ten Commandments. And then after the Ten Commandments, you get this big body of more terms. And it's called the Book of the Covenant. And we'll hear about the Book of the Covenant here in just a second in Exodus 24. So you have all these terms. And the the Book of the Covenant is really just... What does this look like to live out the Ten Commandments in the land where you're going to go? What does this look like? What's it going to be like to to be there? How do I follow all these these ten rules? What does it look like in my day-to-day? So we get the terms. And after the terms, we have the two parties. We have the terms. And then we have a blood oath. And we're going to read about the blood oath here in Exodus. So if you have a Bible, you can flip there, or I think we're going to have it on the screen, maybe. Yes, we are. Cool. So, I guess I should put this here so I can see it. Exodus 24. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came, and he told the people all the words that the Lord had said, all of his rules. And all of the people answered 
with one voice saying, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. They agree to the terms. And Moses wrote down all the words that the Lord of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrifices, peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and he put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. Here are the terms. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people. Gross. And said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw God of Israel. There was under his feet, was like pavement of sapphire stones, like the very heavens for clearness. And he did not lay his hands on the chief priests of the people of Israel. They beheld God, and they ate and drank. So we have the terms. We have the people agreeing to the terms. And with a mass population, you got to know that you can't have everybody walk through a trough of blood. So they throw the blood on the people. And they throw the blood on the altar. So this time, the altar is the symbol for God. And God will honor his terms, his end of the agreement. This time, the people of Israel agree, and they take on the obligations. And this is why we end up having a sacrificial system. That's why we end up having such a boring book as Leviticus in the Bible, so many rules about how to kill animals and how to sacrifice their bodies is that instead of God just wiping them out in just a couple of pages actually um, but instead of him wiping them out he creates a system where their sins or their wrongdoings or their choosing evil instead of good can be covered over and there's this interesting part at the end where they eat and they drink This is actually part of the covenant ceremony as well. It's the covenant meal. So what happens is, is this animal that was sacrificed is cooked, barbecued, and they take it and they share it. The two parties that join in covenant share a meal together as the first act of being in right relationship with one another. And this also informs our story of the table. 
So when the, when the terms are broken, if you read through the rest of the story, an animal is sacrificed and another meal is had. And an animal is sacrificed and another meal is had. And these meals are the first interaction between the two parties to say, I'm still in. I failed. I've messed up. I've broken the terms. But I'm still in. I'm still in. I want to make this right. That's what the table's about. So, back into our story. Jesus lets his disciples know, you will betray me. So he takes the bread and he breaks it. And he gives it to them and says, eat. This is my body. It's the body of the sacrifice. And he takes the cup and he passes it out. And they drink. And he says that this is my blood of the covenant. He changes one small word, my. He is the sacrifice. And it's his blood that's spilled. And from then on, everyone who follows Jesus, when we fail... When we don't love our neighbor as ourself, when we don't love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, there's a table. There's a table for you to come to to say, God, I'm still in. I've messed up. might be that things are going on in our lives that cause us to mess up. might be that there are people, other influencers, that we value more than God and his words. So they cause us to, to change the way that we behave from time to time. Maybe it's our own selfish desire to choose what we think should be good, whether it is or it isn't. Well, there's always tends to be something happening where we're betraying. But there's a table. And we can come to the table and we can say we're still in. We can take the body of the sacrifice. We can dip it in the cup. We can say I'm still in. So, if you're a disciple of Jesus today, the table will be open shortly. I'd ask for you to pray. Meditate on your week. Listen to the Spirit. What's He telling you? How would He like for your life to be changed? And then come. Come to the table. Musicians, if you want to go ahead and come up start to play if you're not a disciple of Jesus 
I would ask for you to consider these things. That he did die. He did come back to life. And he's offering you a table. He's offering you an opportunity to come. Come and be a disciple. Come and follow him. Come and learn his teachings. It's odd that we say to come and is for freedom. But there are terms. But the terms are to be free to live as you were designed to be, as true humans. If you're timid to come to the table, you have questions, but you're interested in the table, I'll be down front. Come and talk to me. When I ask Larry, he'll come and be down front as well. Let's just talk. Maybe we can help you understand the table in a way that you want to be a part. So come. The table is open. Come at your time. Stand if you'd like to stand. Sit and pray if you'd like. But come. Come to the table.